The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. On every edition of Stock Insiders, we connect you with innovators, explorers, scientists, tech wizards. We actively go in search of the next big thing that's going to transform industries, our world, and with any luck, your investment account. But you know what, though? I only have one set of eyes and one set of ears, and there is only so much research I can do to identify potential companies with stories I think you might benefit from in some shape or another. So for companies to get noticed, to get their story heard, they need a great PR team with a great PR strategy to help them let people know what they're up to, to connect them with potential investors or raise money for the next stage of development, whether it be drilling, testing, maybe building a bigger brewery. So without a good PR company, will companies fail to get the attention of the right people? One word for you, better. Back in the day, householders would record TV shows on tape. Better or Beta, if that's your preference, was the first player on the stage and they had the market to themselves. Twelve months after Beta was launched, VHS appeared. Similar product, doing essentially the same thing. Within the next 18 months, though, it was the tech version dominating the market around the globe. The one thing VHS had that was better was a great marketing strategy thanks to their PR company. And VHS blew better out of the water and out of households around the world. So yes, if companies want to get noticed and encourage the interest of potential investors and financiers, they need a good PR company. And today's Stock Insiders is going behind the scenes. We're going to talk with tech and finance PR company Third Hemisphere to find out how PR can help promising companies scale and get noticed and get onto shows like this one to get you talking and investing. I'm Christina Morrissey. You're listening to Stock Insiders. Let's get into it. And joining us to talk PR today, two guests, Third Hemisphere founder, Hannah Marino. Hannah, hello. Hi, Christina. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you so much for taking time out from writing the press releases and and doing all the legwork to to chat with us about this subject. I really appreciate it. Of course, of course. And we've got your group's latest team member, your newest hire and tech industry stalwart, Alan Jones. And this is Alan Jones, the, the good one, everyone, who'll talk about why a PR firm hired a guy whose life has revolved around VC, entrepreneurial is a mentoring and investment. I kind of felt some of the oxygen being sucked out of the world when I said Alan Jones. <laughs> this has been a bit of a cross for you to bear. No, no, it's actually, it's a really good thing. You know, I'm the into his yang. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm the up to his down. So uh, everywhere I go, I, I'm in a little bottle, bubble of people who are relieved it's me and not, not my namesake. Good attitude. So what's your actual background? I, I mentioned VC entrepreneurs and what, where have you come from? Yeah. So for the last few years, I have been um, a, an angel investor and working on raising a VC fund. But my career actually started in journalism. I actually started as a tech reporter oh. uh, and it was reporting on the tech industry that, that made me fall in love with the industry itself and find a way to make a jump. At the beginning of, of, of the World Wide Web, uh, publishing yeah. websites was not dissimilar to publishing computer magazines, which is where I was coming from. So I managed to make the leap while it was still relatively simple to do so. We'll go back to the boss and then we'll come back to you, Alan. So I'll direct these questions to you, Hannah. Uh, We we know a little bit now about Alan's background. What's your background? So prior to founding Third Hemisphere, my background was actually quite varied. Um, It began founding an events business a few years out of high school. Um, I continued to teaching myself Italian on an exchange program in my business undergraduate degree. 
And then I performed my first postgraduate role at a multinational retailer as a liaison between different subsidiaries or running a side hustle English teaching business. So obviously that's not a very um, linear kind of career, but what was consistent across every sort of role I undertook was entrepreneurialism and writing and language skills. So what led you to to forming this company in the first place and and why PR? Why didn't you just work for someone else? When I started Third Hemisphere, I actually was working for someone else. I'd I'd had a good, you know, solid one year in public relations under my belt. Um, But, you know, the inception story is quite funny. Um, I spend a lot of time advocating social social issues on um, social channels like Facebook um, and I happen to catch the attention of a woman who owns an SMSF auditing firm and she wanted to hire me as a writer for her business based solely on my Facebook feminist discussion. So all those discussions on be careful what you write about yourself. People, people are listening. They're listening <laughs> okay. and they're deciding what they think about you as a person as a result. Um, but she was obviously also assessing the way I wrote. Yeah. And after, shortly after doing a very small job for her SMSF auditing firm, she decided to invest in me founding Third Hemisphere. So in, I, I joke, woke is not broke. It yeah. can absolutely lead to some really great opportunities. But why, why didn't you just work for someone else? That's a really great question. And I think if you ask that of many entrepreneurs, their answer is just, I can't. Okay. So putting that aside, um, you know, the, the desire for a bit more control over your destiny I also had in mind that I didn't want to work for an employer who would determine how I could go about having children, what my post-children work life would look like. Um, I wanted to be able to speak very freely on Facebook and I continue to do so and on LinkedIn about social justice issues that are important to me without having to go into the workplace and saying, oh, you know, we we agreed that the pay gap is absolutely a thing, but probably don't say that publicly. Whereas I'm, I'm free to talk publicly and have those values. You sound like you have a very unusual thing, which is a strong moral streak. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go to the PR companies. Do PR companies in general tend to focus on one industry in your your experience? Look, a few do. There are a few out there that are very, very niche. Um, I think it's less about focusing on one industry and more about grouping clients around styles of PR that cater to the needs of those groups. Um, So one example is consumer PR, um, focus on like fast moving consumer goods. They might represent companies across a really wide range of products and industries, but the tactics they use are probably more about just telling a really simple story because the product is simple but reaching a large number of people. Uh, now, you're a little different on that. We'll get to that in a moment. Tell us about the type of companies that you work with and if, have you chosen certain companies? Yeah, so the type of companies we work with are the absolute opposite to what I just described. We didn't start that way. The first company we ever um, worked with was a fintech called MoneyBee eight years ago who is still a client to this day. Um, so I originally organically accrued a portfolio of fintech firms, but that eventually expanded out to tech firms when we won Sydney Angels and then deep technology and impact firms when we won Cicada Innovations, which is Australia's pioneer deep tech incubator. I know you're going to probably be very diplomatic because you are in PR, uh, but has there been a standout or a memorable innovation or company you've been involved in helping to get traction for? On a world-changing level, um, we've recently done a lot of work with HB11 Energy, which is a fusion company trying to solve the global energy crisis. So that that seems pretty important to me as, you know, as quite a, a feminist, as you've seen. I also love the work of Superfierce, who is a, a company seeking to end the gender retirement gap. So that's 
you know, they're very, very different companies, um, very different types of technology, but both with really, really important missions. Now, would I be right in saying a lot of companies that are involved in these areas have quite complex information that they were to share? And it's a skill, it's a real skill to get that across to people outside of an industry in a way they can explain it, isn't it? Absolutely. So to take um, Cicada Innovations, the deep tech incubator, as an example, 75% of the people working under the roof in the 45 companies that are there now have PhDs. And that includes support staff. So can you, if you've ever spoken to someone with a PhD on their specialist area of interest, wow. Fascinating, but yeah. It's, it's, it's a, an absolute skill to translate their incredibly technical, important genius into consumable words that you, I, the person I sit next to on the bus stop can understand because you need, you need to assume, like everyone needs to be able to understand, but the journalist needs to understand what it actually means. Like I'm sure the journalist understands that it's very smart and important science, but what does that mean for the person the journalist is then speaking to? Yeah, that's right. Is is that would you consider that to be your superpower? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that's I, I don't have the same BC background that Alan and some of the, my other team members do, but what I absolutely bring to the table is the skill in translating. Let's talk about your team. How important is it? Because I know in the early days when I look back through and I did a little bit of cyber stalking, you were a bit like that one truck Lynn Fox had, racing around, doing all the work, but making it seem like there was a whole fleet until they could afford to to buy more more trucks. Now, the team that you've invested in and built up, you just mentioned, doesn't have the same traditional writing and PR background that you do, although, Alan, you've just mentioned that that was where you started in journalism. But tell us about Jeremy Little, the venture capitalist, for example. When I met Jeremy, I had already organically started. I, I had the, the portfolio of tech companies. I was already using PR as a means to sort of influence capital markets because it was the right thing to do for my clients and that's what they needed to survive. And they wouldn't say my clients if they didn't survive. Um, when I met Jeremy, I talked about this and he had already been workshopping that type of idea. He used to be a VC and he used to try to do the PR for his the companies he invested in for the same purpose to help them survive. So that once Jeremy came on board, that really solidified the importance of number one, having that skilled writer who can translate those complex, um, complex subject matter into the consumable format. And two, then having someone who looks at it from the lens of the VCs who ensure these companies survive and then scale and then and put their IP from the lab and into the homes where they actually have greatest impact. Yeah, so that experience in VC really helps you to ensure that story has been told in that way that, uh, can I use the word, that might compel the right people to pull out their wallets? Perfect. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> without those wallets being pulled out, many of these companies will fail. This is correct, and there's some brilliant ideas out there. Now, Alan, you're waiting patiently in the background. Can I bring you in here? By all means. Good on you. Now, look, tell us a little bit more about your background and why you need to uh, define your, define yourself as the good one. <laughs> Let's just go straight to, yeah. to what, what it is that you give to people who are investing in third hemisphere. What do you bring to the table? Yeah, so Hannah's touched on this already, but but uh, you know, I'll, I'll restate it because it's it's important to me as well. When, when I was a tech journalist back in the day, um, I was uh, interviewing people um, with deep technical backgrounds, and they would tell me what they were working on, but um, it really wasn't it really wasn't a compelling story. <clears throat> they, you know, 
people who are engineers and scientists and specialists of different kinds, they tend to use an industry language of their own, a, a kind of jargon, if, if you like. And, and that jargon in some industries can be almost impenetrable. But also, most of the time, they'll tell you about you know what they're building, the technology that they're building or, or the business that they're building. And, and they might kind of skip the bit where they tell you why that's important to the rest of the world. Because what they're focused on right now is, is, is what they're creating right now. But if we think about um, the most interesting tech startups out there um, from Australia or from the rest of the world right now, certainly, you know, there's there's the impact they're having on the world right now. But I think what makes everybody lean forward and pay closer attention is is the future potential. You know? So when we see uh, Canva, for instance, Canva is an awesome Australian tech startup. Um, it, it's doing, you know, a uh, I think they celebrated uh, a milestone the other day. 15 billion pieces of artwork have been created in Canva so far. It's a profitable company. It's coming out of Australia. It's one of the best companies Australia has ever built. But really, the the valuation behind Canva, the reason why you know Canva shares are worth um, a pretty significant multiple of, of the company's revenues, is that everybody is excited about the future potential of Canva. When I tell you about what I'm working on, and I focus just on the jargon and and, the, and what I'm, you know, the product I'm bringing to market right now, and and I skip that future of the company, I'm missing an opportunity to inspire people, to get people to believe in our mission, to get people to believe in how we're going to change the world. When I was a journalist, that was my job to find that story to make that story interesting for my readers. When I then went to work into PR, I learned how to do, you know, a second order skill, which is where. I'm trying to um, influence um, a journalist to become interested, to go and find that story and, and what my clients are, are working on delivering. Um, and so the power of storytelling, um, you know, for me comes from that background in journalism and PR. But then as an investor, often it, it's, you know, I'm meeting people all the time who tell me about what they're working on right now. As an investor, when I'm making up my mind whether or not to invest in that company, I've got to think for myself. You know, what's the future story of this business? How big an impact could it make in the world? Because I'll never have enough capital to invest in all of the great companies I see. I'm always looking for the ones that I think might make the biggest impact in the world. And so that that storytelling skill, that ability to tell people a believable story about what the future might hold, I think is one of the most interesting things about venture capital and the tech startup industry. So is this what led you to actually come? Because I'm, I'm imagining you obviously made a, a, you know, a tidy life, as it were, with the, your investment at work. Why did you go back to PR? Was it wanting to help other companies tell their story? Yeah, yeah. So um, as, as an investor, um, that is, is something that I love to do. So I work with a lot of accelerator programs around the country on helping very early stage um, technology teams and startups tell their story, you know, perhaps for the first time, you know, so it, and, and often in front of an audience on a stage, which is, a, a, you know, a, a place which is almost nobody's happy place when you first go there, right? So um, in a couple of months, uh, um, I'll be working with this year's um, Startmate Accelerator team. So Startmate is Australia's oldest and arguably most successful um, startup accelerator program. And, and there'll be 10 or 15 companies coming through that program, and they'll all need my help to try and develop that story. The importance of that is is that you know if you're a small team, if if you're one or two or three or four or five people, and you've only got eighteen working hours in the day, and some of that time you've got to spend on actually building the startup, um, the time you have available to 
to promote the fact um, that you're doing this and and help people understand what your company is and why it's going to change the world. But you only have a small amount of time to do that. So it's really important that you make the best use of, of that available time. So um, being able to, to tell a compelling story that works not just for a, a, a VC or for potential co-founder or perhaps you know a corporate customer or, or, or a small business customer but that's all really important too but actually you know you want to convert every single um, taxi driver who asks you what you do you want to convert every single barista who asks you what you do you want your family to understand what you do and your friends to understand what you do because if you do a great job of telling that story that story gets repeated and you amplify your message that's fundamentally what PR does we work with the media to try and amplify the message the ways that our clients are going to be changing the world for the better um so when i f i first met hannah and i uh, hannah and i first met um in, in, a, in a facebook debate um with a couple of misogynists in the tech startup industry in australia and i was inspired by by hannah's um informed and 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 data-driven and factual approach in a in a you know a, basically a, a crap slinging match um, with a bunch of people that were, <laughs> that were employing no facts just their just their their uh the misogyny um, so, you know, we had a couple of coffees there. It turned out we lived in the, in the same part of Sydney. Um, and we started hanging out. Um, and, and then, you know, last year I, I, I uh, served as interim CEO of Australia's biggest and oldest tech startup community, Fishburners, for, for six months. And, and while I was at Fishburners, I asked uh, Third Hemisphere to come in and represent Fishburners. They, they did some fantastic work for us and, and, and three of us got to work together um, a little bit more. And so, you know, at the end of my time at Fishburners, handing over to the, to the new CEO, Jeremy and Hannah, I said, so um, what are you going to do next, Alan? And I said, well... I need something to do. Um, and so that's that's where the conversation began. I think you've, in a roundabout way, pretty much uh, answered my next question is what should people be looking for in a PR company? You've given why it is that you've, you wanted to be part of what Hannah's doing very succinctly. Is there any anything else in particular that uh, companies should be looking for in their PR reps? In the early 90s, when when, when I uh, first worked in PR, um, everything was about sending out a press release and picking up a phone and ringing a person, you know, and the press releases went out you know, via fax machine or or if they weren't urgent in, in the mail. It was, it was before most PR agencies had more than one email address. Um, and, and so the industry was pretty linear and it was, it was pretty straightforward in those days. These days, thanks to the internet and thanks to the different um, um, content channels that have developed on the internet, we have so many different ways to influence the, the media that we work with and also the, the readership, the audiences that, that they have. You know, so, so we're right here on a, on a podcast today um, and, and podcasting has dramatically changed the, you know, the audio news industry. What used to only be delivered on, on radio now happens in, in you know, hundreds of thousands of, of podcast publishers every day. Um, we can reach an audience through social media. We can reach an audience through you know, electronic direct mail, EDMs. Um, there are so many different ways that we can reach an audience right now. So that means it's it's no longer simply a matter of, of pumping out press releases again and again and, and following up over the phone. It's a much more subtle, nuanced profession. And that means that it really requires a, a high-level strategy, a strategic approach to what we're trying to achieve. Alan, our clock is going to beat us, but I really want to put these two questions to yourself and Hannah. Is there a rule of thumb for companies in creating a budget for PR? So it really depends on your stage. And I've actually written a blog about this um, because we working with early stage startups, you have a lot of companies who really want to 
get into the media, but they, you know, the runway, um, which is the amount of capital they have left until they then raise the next amount of capital, um, may not necessarily allow them to budget for that. So there are a lot of educational um, resources available for early stage companies who want to do it themselves. Um, but as an example, Third Hemisphere, we work with post um, Series A companies up to pre-IPO and IPO, like listed companies, because at that stage, you, you need to be in the media regularly and it is possible for someone sort of doing it themselves to get in the media, say, once or twice, but to get in the media once a month, particularly now as newsrooms dwindle and half of the journalists are now becoming PRs, so more PRs are, are you know, harassing fewer journalists, that's an investment that needs to be made. No, dollar, no percentage or dollar figure exactly. It's just about getting that message out there. Think about the, yeah. Think about the stage, and 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 definitely in those you know pre-series A stages of of startup growth. Do what you would do with all the other parts of your business. You know, so so startup founders in the early days are encouraged to do things that don't scale, and to try and do things themselves so that they learn how such things are done. You know, on, on the principle that later on you'll be able to hire somebody to do that for you, but you'll be a much better manager of, of, of that function if you've spent a little bit of time trying to do it yourself. And I would say, you know, most of Australia's tech PR people are, are out there on Twitter. Reach out to us. You know, if you're not at, at, at Series A yet, um, you know, ping us direct messages and say, hey, I'm about to do this thing. You know, I read this blog post about how to relate to this journalist. I'm about to send them this thing. Uh, is that a terrible idea? You know, and, and, you know, we may not be able to take you on as a, a, as a client, but, you know, we might be able to give me, give you a couple of tips that will help you, uh, you know, be a little bit more successful. And, and that's in our interests as well as yours, right? Cause, you know, we would like to see you succeed. We would like to see you get the awareness that you need so that you become another one of our post series A clients. That, that's a great point, Alan. And just one quick one. Thinking about the return on PR, imagine you pay, and this is just an example, $10,000 for a campaign over three months or two months or one month, whatever that might be. And that, attracts an investor who's willing to put $2 million into your company. The returns on PR are sometimes a little bit difficult to measure, but sometimes they pay off absolute dividends. So it's it's a complex, you've asked a really complex question, unfortunately, Christina. That's what we've got you, the experts, here for. <laughs> it depends, is the short yeah. answer. All right, fair call. Guys, thank you so much for your time and coming on the show today. Thanks so much for having thank me. Thank you, Christina. We appreciate it. Thanks. Hey, Alan, before you go, how many T-shirts do you actually own? And uh, just for those of you who are listening in, Alan doesn't fit your usual PR wardrobe, you know, shirts, nice, nice shirts, et cetera. You've got how many T-shirts with different pictures on the front of them? Oh, I, I have a whole um, cupboard uh, full of T-shirts. I would say there's, you know, in my own personal collection, there would be more than 80 or 90 at the moment. But, you know, I do I do age them out, you know, because I've been collecting T-shirts for such a long time or entirely, you know, tech startup industry focused t-shirts now but um you know as they age i photograph them and i keep them in a library so i can go back to uh you know that's that's my history that's the history of my career is all, is all the t-shirts i've worn over the years I love it. Alan, thanks so much. Hannah, thanks so much for your time on the show. And that is Stock Insiders, an inside look at PR, thanks to Third Hemisphere, which is the PR company for a number of tech and finance companies that we speak to on a regular basis here on Stockhead. If you're a company owner and you've been bumbling through without any PR expertise, the message is pretty clear. Reach out and don't. You need to let people know you're out there. No one wants to be the next better. Put a good strategy in place. Next topic, well, I'll be looking through all those press releases from the various PR companies in my inbox. I'll be promising you it will be a good subject. I'm Christina Morrissey. Thanks for your company. We'll talk soon. 